Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Today we're going to continue our uh, series on the Beatitudes. And uh, we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is His most famous sermon, which is found in Matthew chapter 5. And as I was going through the preaching roster, looking at all the different topics, the beauty for me in my role now is I get to uh, allocate messages to other people. And so I just get to scan and go, yep, I'll preach that one. Yep, I'll preach that one. <laughs> no, someone else can do that. And uh, I got to this week and blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I don't know what it was, but there was something in me that thought I might hand that on to someone else. So I'll put James Bignall's name against that. And then... I mean, where is James this morning? I mean, he's off. Actually, he's at a friend's baby dedication at our Redlands campus. as his birthday yesterday, so make sure you send him some birthday love. But I don't know what it was, but when I first looked at this topic, there was something in my gut that immediately said, no, I'll leave that one to someone else. Someone else can preach that one. And I've quizzed myself as to why that is. I reckon purity has become a dirty word in our culture. Purity has just become a dirty word in our culture. And as I interrogated that in my own spirit, I just thought there's, there's just, kind of we're stepping into challenging kind of ground here because it touches on some things that I don't think we love to talk about. Purity, which is clean and good and wholesome, suddenly has become something which is looked down upon and spoken out against in the world in which we live. And, and I wonder why that is. Is it because we associate with the idea of being pure, something around unattainable perfection. Maybe when we think about what purity looks like and we challenge that concept in our own life, we think it's just, it's just not attainable. It's not something that I feel like I could ever use to describe myself. Maybe it's because for some of us, purity and the way it's been used and the connotation surrounding it has actually been linked with a joyless, legalistic pursuit of right living. In other words, when we think of purity, we actually think of a life that is devoid of any fun. Maybe it's because for some of us, purity has been linked with the morality police that are just kind of breathing down your neck and looking over your shoulder, waiting to point out anything that you get wrong. Now, I don't know why purity has become such a dirty word, because when Jesus speaks these words, I think he wants to do something to encourage us and, and to invite us into a life that is so more, much more compelling than the life that we're offered elsewhere. I want to take you back to the setting where Jesus speaks these words on the mount that first uh, day as he gave these beatitudes, which really are signposts or signals or a picture of his upside down kingdom. He takes everything that the world gives you as a narrative and flips it on its head. And as we said in week one, the Beatitudes aren't just a new list of things that we should pursue, new behaviours that we must take on for ourselves. They're actually signposts of what the world looks like when Jesus is in charge. And so when he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. He actually gives us a picture of the kingdom and it's an upside down picture. I want you to think about who would have been sitting on the mountaintop with Jesus that day. We see it in the characters that he spends most of his time with. I guarantee that sitting listening to his every word were those in the culture that would have been the downcast, the sick, the oppressed, 
the isolated and the outcast. Because there was something compelling about Jesus that everybody that was rejected by religion and was rejected by everybody else was compelled by Jesus. He attracted the outcast, the downcast and the rejected. But I guarantee you there also would have been what we could have labelled as the moral police of the day, sitting there listening to Jesus' words, analysing them, reviewing them and getting upset by them. Because purity was a really big deal in Jesus' time. And purity laws were a big deal. We see it in some of the stories and some of the stories Jesus tells and some of the interactions he has. Jesus spends significant time ministering to people that had the debilitating skin condition of leprosy. And leprosy still exists in our world, but it's not something we talk about. And I dare say it's not something that many, if any of us in this room have ever come in contact with. But in Jesus' time, leprosy was a debilitating condition that if you had it, you were isolated from society. You were an outcast put on the margins. And we've heard the stories of lepers that had come into town just to do what they needed to do and had to yell at the top of their voice, unclean, unclean. In other words, stay away from me. You don't wanna come near me. I am unclean. You see, Jesus knows what, you know, lived in a time where purity was a big deal. He tells a story. It's a really well-known story, the story of the Good Samaritan. If you're not familiar with it, there's a guy that's beaten up on this familiar road just outside Jerusalem and he's left to die on the street. And it's, Jesus tells a story of three different characters that come across him, a Levite, a priest and a Samaritan. A Samaritan was hated by the Jews. They were like a half caste. They're on the outskirts, right? But in Jesus' story, the Samaritan becomes the hero because when the priest and the Levite came across the man that was beaten and lying on the road, it said they crossed the other side and ignored him and kept on their way. If you read a bit into the context of that story, one of the things that people would suggest was the reason they crossed to the other side of the road was they were on their way to worship at the temple. And as a priest, as a person of significant religious leadership, you had to come pure and cleansed and ready to fulfil fill your task and to attend to someone bloodied and dying in the street was actually going to mean a whole lot of inconvenience for your life. See, purity was a really big deal in Jesus' day. And so when He says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, the question we've got to ask is what is purity of heart? Now, what do you understand the heart as? In the Bible, when they speak of the heart, the heart actually speaks to that place in us, that place of intent, that place of decision, that place of feeling. It wasn't just the warm, cuddly place that we sing about in love songs. The heart was the centre of your being. So when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, He's speaking about that, which is the centre of your being. And so the question we've got to ask is, what is the state of your heart? And it's here that I reckon Jesus' teaching from 2,000 odd years ago comes rushing into the present moment because we live in a world that is image obsessed. We live in a world that is image obsessed. It's image obsessed because most people are deeply concerned about how others perceive them. And so for some of us, we spend so much time curating our image just so that we can manage our brand, so that others experience us the way we want them to experience us. 
For some, we spend so much time curating our image because we just need to control the narrative on how other people see us. You see, we're image obsessed because our image is the thing that becomes the front door to others' experience of us. But some of us are image obsessed because it actually is a barometer of how we see ourselves. So we live in a world that tells us what beauty looks like and most of it is presented as only skin deep. And so we spend exorbitant amount of time looking at the picture of perfection and trying to model that in our own life. 2017, there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald, a New South Wales newspaper, that quoted some research around the amount of time and money that people spend on curating their image. Now, Aussies spend $22 billion a year on their appearance. Some of you are thinking, I wouldn't mind my husband spending $22 just to put a bit of effort in. But Aussies spend $22 billion a year. You know what the two biggest chunks of that pie are? Skincare and get this, professional hair colouring. Now, this has become a topic of great contention in my life group because I'm in a bloke's life group. We get together every couple of weeks. Uh, most of us are in that 40 to 50-ish age range, some touching 60. And there's some on the older end that are yet to show a fleck of grey hair, yet continually deny the use of men's hair grooming and coloured products. Go and find the guys in my life group and you analyse for yourself whether they're being genuine. But given the frugality of some of the blokes in my life group, I'm sure that it probably wasn't professional hair colouring products, but more likely used sump oil that was being rubbed into the scalp as a substitute. But the point is that Aussies spend a lot of money in making their hair look much younger than it is. And guess what the research found? That Queenslanders were the vainest of all Australians. Those of us born in New South Wales, we're much more in touch with the commonality of the common man. But you Queenslanders, oh, you pretend like come state of origin time, you're the working class battlers, but you're all image obsessed beauty freaks. That's all I want to say. Because Queenslanders were the most vain. The article said this, Aussies are paying a high price to look good with a total spend on the likes of skincare, makeup and manicures exceeding the amount we spend on household energy. In other words, it costs you more to look good than it costs you to run the lights and the fridge in your house. Add to the beauty and the skincare, the health and fitness world, which more than $3 billion a year is spent by Aussies on gym and fitness classes and over $16 billion on sport and physical activities. We are an image-obsessed culture. Why is it so? Because we, if we feel good about how we look, it increases our sense of self-worth. If we feel good about how we look, for some of us, it gives us a sense of status. You know, we post one of those photos on social media and we don't, well, we just, we're just waiting for the comments and the affirmation and the likes and the loves to stack up because there's something in our brain that is triggered when people tell us how good we look. I don't get social media photos. Like, can someone explain to me what the go is with taking a photo of yourself in a mirror where the camera's there and the flight? Like, I don't get it. But we do it. We're obsessed. 
with our image because it builds our sense of self-worth, of status and of acceptance. Now, I'm not here to suggest that we should take no care in our physical appearance and our health and well-being. But if we're not careful, it becomes the ultimate pursuit of our life. And if we're not careful, it's something we bring into our faith. Because we can spend a lot of time managing how others see us and perceive our faith life. I don't know about you, I've had this moment, and I'm sure many of you have. You know those moments where home life isn't going so well and Sunday morning is falling apart and you're driving to church and everyone's just yelling at each other and the kids are feral and people are crying and you haven't had a good marriage morning, but as you drive in the driveway, you say, okay, now pull it together and pretend like we like each other for the next hour and a half. Because I don't want the church to think the pastor hasn't got it all together with the perfect family. I have the perfect family. My kids never cry. They go to sleep when I tell them to go to sleep. No, I I say that kind of half seriously. There's a reality that, you know, sometimes, and it's not, we don't want to come and just pour our mess over everyone, do we? But there is something that can become, you know, inherent in us that we feel like we need to constantly be curating an image of the perfect life and the perfect family and the perfect marriage and the perfect job and the perfect world that we forget sometimes that that's just not reality. We can spend a lot of time trying to make sure that everybody thinks that we've got it all together. You know, maybe we walk into church and everybody here knows this is something that nobody outside of here knows us as. You know, in our work world, we're greedy, we're potty mouthed, we lack integrity, we're inappropriate with members of the opposite sex. Yet on Sundays, we're charming and we're generous and we're kind. Maybe it's not just about living a two-faced life. Maybe it's actually the hypocrisy of feeling like we need to suppress our questions, our doubt, our pain and our brokenness. We walk into church and we're battling addiction or we're battling doubt. Does God even exist? We're battling a sense of spiritual dryness, yet we don't feel like we could even ask those questions because people might judge us. So we just put on the facade that we've got it all together and we've got all the answers and everything's going fine. We've got to be very, very careful that we don't spend our life trying to curate an image of ourselves for others' sakes that's not coherent with who we really are. See, when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he's aware of the two distinct groups. There's those that have just actually, their their mess is out for all to see. And then there's those that spend their whole life curating. I'm struggling with my words today. Curating a facade that convinces everybody else that they've got it all together. One are named in the Bible as the sinners and the outcasts and the others the religious leaders, the experts in purity. But Jesus calls it out. He says to them, you know what? Sometimes the things you invest in are just all for show. A little bit later in his sermon, he says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. It's like when Jason, our senior pastor comes down here couple of times a year, there's a narrative going around that that's the days that I help stack chairs. It's not true. It's not true. I do know where the mop is for those days though. But Jesus' point is this, sometimes we even take our service of God, which looks wonderful and looks appropriate and looks 
like we're wonderful, generous people, but if we really challenge the motive of it, we're doing it not for the applause of heaven, but for the applause of people. And Jesus says, don't live your righteousness in front of others for the sake of being seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is if you practise your faith for the sake of that crowd and not that crowd, you've missed the point. He goes on in Matthew's Gospel a little bit later. He speaks directly to the religious leaders. He says these words, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. You see, sometimes we treat salvation like it's an exercise in convincing everyone else that we're okay that we're together and that we're acceptable. And we can become obsessed with image management in the church. But in our obsession for image management, we neglect the thing that matters the most, which is drawing near to the one who can transform us. I had a really interesting conversation here. I I hope this person, uh, this person has left Ormo long ago, the school that is, and I hope they're not one of the 13 people that listens to my podcast regularly, but I had a conversation with a teacher here years ago who um, had grown up in the same part of the world that I had and came up to me one day and said, I know you. Your sister was in my class. Now, for those that don't know me and my story, I'm an only child. I don't have a sister. And so I looked at this lady and in the kindness of my heart, not wanting to be offensive, I said, No, she wasn't. She said, no, 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 she was, definitely. I said, no, she wasn't, definitely, because I don't have a sister. And she goes, oh, I got that wrong. (laughs) Well, gets better. Wasn't your sister that, your mother was my physician. Now, my mum is a wonderful lady, but if you need something done medically, she'll give you a Band-Aid and a lot of love and care but she's not the lady to go to because she's not a doctor. I said to this lady, no, she wasn't. She said, she's now getting incredulous with me. Yes, she was. No, 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 you don't understand. No, she was. My mum is not a doctor. By this stage, she's angry with me because she got my story wrong. See, she didn't know me at all, but she thought she knew everything about me. If we're not careful when it comes to our faith, we can know a lot about how to practice Christian faith for this audience and have no idea or no relationship with the one who is the one that can actually transform us. Some of the most sobering words that Jesus speaks are these. He's at the back end of the Sermon of the Mount. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, 
I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I find those incredibly sobering words because it tells us that we can even get to the point where we can minister for Jesus, but not know Him. And that only comes when we become so obsessed in creating a facade that convinces everybody else that we're the good, upstanding, moral, upright, Jesus-following, church-going, tithe-giving, people-serving, God-loving person. But if it's only skin deep, we've missed the whole point and the whole invitation of Jesus. Overall value, if you've been part of our church for any length of time, you would know personally, but in how we operate, we have a real value on being authentic and vulnerable. You know, one of the things that I hear from a lot of people, and it's something we work very hard not to be as a church, but people that say, I walk into church and I just look around and everyone else has got it together. I know enough of you well enough now to know that that is not true. But sometimes the way we help other people see Jesus is when they see how he's ministering to our vulnerability and brokenness. And it starts with living authentic and vulnerable lives. Because as we become honest with ourselves and honest with others, God starts to do the workiness of transformation that we need, but also uses that as an invitation to others to discover the only one that can bring transformation to them. You know what? Purity isn't a dirty word. So I'll give you a little illustration this morning. Really just backs up everything I've said, but I've noticed a trend and I'm going to ask for a show of hands. I've struggled saying this word all morning, but I've noticed a trend of young people spending exorbitant amounts of money on obnoxious water bottles. <laughs> hands up if you're sitting with someone that's done that. <laughs> right, okay. Like... I, I won't tell you who, um, other than to say that I work with them. It was their birthday yesterday and they're not here this morning. <laughs> Spends an exorbitant amount of money on obnoxious water bottles to carry water out of the tap. And he tries to convince me that they're good because you just press the button and the straw pops up and, you know, like it keeps it at an appropriate temperature. But you can spend a lot of money on a really good water bottle. Or if you're like me and you're cheap, you can get the free water bottle that your son in under eight's got given at his local footy club. That's a little bit kind of worn up and beaten and chewed on top because what is it about kids and mouth guards? And, uh. Anyway, this is actually what some of us are like. You know what? We, we're balding, middle-aged, slightly portly, hair growing out of everything except on the top of our head. I heard a sledge from the fourth row and I'm ignoring it. It's, it's rude. I, I want to talk to God about this one day, but when the hair grows out of your ears and out of your nose, but not on the top of your head, there's something wrong in there. We're a bit more like the under eights beat up water bottle. But when you see what's inside, it's pure. Now there's some that are like the obnoxious, expensive, perfectly curated, only buy it from some market, 
in the west end of Brisbane, which most people from Ormo never go to. See, it doesn't actually matter what the outside looks like, does it? Because the whole point of a water bottle is what? To carry water. See, the stupid things don't even work. (laughs) Be gone, obnoxious water bottle. (laughs) See, what, what I don't want you to hear today is that how we present and who we are and how others see us and, you know, the energy we do put into caring for our bodies doesn't matter. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say, though, is if all your energy goes into that, but you spend no time curating what's on the inside, the, the, the thing that you're spending your energy on is the thing that's one day going to start to droop and wrinkle and get a little bit messy, and there'll be no filter that will be able to fix what one day you'll present in the photo. But the thing that doesn't age, the thing that time and age doesn't affect is what's happening on the inside. You see, purity isn't a dirty word. The Greek word that's translated pure in Jesus' words, blessed are the pure in heart, means clean or not mixed. There's an intent in Jesus' words about blessed are the pure in heart that part of his encouragement is this. You you can't mix things. You can't pursue me and have one foot in that camp and one foot in the world of just doing things the way you want to do them. James 4, 4 says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Why? Because... The call is never to be double-minded. Part of the intent that I could land every beatitude that we're teaching on is this. Only Jesus. It's a good prompt for the band to come join me on stage. But is this, only Jesus. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why are the poor in spirit blessed? Because the poor in spirit are the ones that realise that without Jesus, they completely destitute. But with Jesus, the world is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn. Why is mourning a blessing? Not because we want to live in grief, but when we mourn because we know that the current reality isn't as good as the reality and the hope of what is to come, all we have left is Jesus. Why are blessed are the pure in heart? Because when we tend to the inside, what comes out of us is good and wholesome and pure and flourishing. I want you to get this. You might need to write this down. Jesus doesn't expect perfection. If he expected perfection, he would have put you on the journey of self-justification and self-righteousness and he wouldn't have need to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus doesn't expect you to be perfect. What he does do though, he invites transformation. Jesus doesn't expect perfection, but he invites transformation. You know, some of us have walked away from Jesus or never even felt like we could draw near because our own sense of failure and the shame and the judgment 
that follows that. And maybe the hypocrisy we see in those that bear Jesus' name has never allowed us to draw near to Him. But I want to talk about Jesus' words, blessed are the pure in heart, because it's actually an invitation that what Jesus wants to do is He wants to take the muck in your life and He wants to make it clean. And that He wants you to discover a life in Him that allows you to flourish. See, the crazy thing is in our culture, purity has become a dirty word, hasn't it? But purity is an incredibly attractive thing. I mean, that's no good. But that's inviting. See, I just wanna talk missionally for a moment. For those of us that are here that are followers of Jesus, I wanna talk about how embodying this beatitude actually might make a difference. When we live and we embrace Jesus' words of blessed are the pure in heart, we recognise that purity is actually attractive. And, and let me convince you that that is true. Because sometimes we run away from the idea of purity because of what we feel like it brings to us, the expectation or the sense of we can't live up to it or the judgment that we feel that follows it. But when we see purity, we're attracted to it. Tell me you're not attracted to honesty over corruption. Tell me you're not attracted to self-control over rash, reckless living. Tell me you're not attracted by someone who's dependable as opposed to someone who's irresponsible. Someone who's truthful, not deceitful. Tell me you're not attracted to faithfulness over unreliability or generosity over greed or kindness over someone who's incredibly harsh. You see, we're attracted to the pure in heart because we see the goodness in purity, but yet we run from it sometimes because of our own honest evaluation in our own life. This beatitude for you is an invitation. Choose Jesus alone. Let Jesus take the mess in your life and transform it into something beautiful. Because in that place of purity and beauty, new life can flourish. And you know the promise of this blessing? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The Psalmist says it like this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in His holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Invite your church to a life of pursuing Jesus' words, of being pure in heart, because that is the place of flourishing. I'm gonna finish with the, a prayer for us this morning from the immortal words of the deep spiritual writers, you too. As you enter this world, I pray you depart with a wrinkled face and a brand new heart. Why don't you stand with me? Lord Jesus, there's nothing quite so pure as staring in the face of a newborn child. So innocent, so beautiful, so untainted by the brokenness and the pain of this world. God, many of us have grown so concerned about how we present to others, whether physically or even just the narrative of the life that we live, that we've become so obsessed in how we're seen that we've actually neglected tending to our heart. 
Jesus, all that is exterior to us will actually decay. All that is exterior to us will get old and wrinkled and not look like it did when we were 22 years old. But God, the thing that can be renewed is our heart. So my prayer is this, that just as we entered this world, Lord, as a child, innocent, beautiful, we'll also depart it, but with a wrinkled face, but with a brand new and a pure heart. Lord God, for those that are here this morning that spent their whole life with just the guilt and the shame and the judgment hanging over them, I want to pray that you would just give them a greater sense that you don't actually judge people by the outside experience. Actually, you don't even judge us through our past pain and stupidity. You actually sent your son, Jesus, to die to make amends for that because you knew we couldn't do it for ourselves. But you also offer us an invitation to be transformed day by day. To every day just have something else that's broken and fractured in us, made whole and new and redeemed by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, may we sign up for that. May we choose that. May you purify our heart, I pray in Jesus' Name. And all together we said, Amen. Hey, we're gonna sing a song that just speaks to the words that I've already proclaimed, that it's just only Jesus. And maybe as we sing that, you just wanna let the band sing over you and you just need to do a little bit of business with God and maybe you don't know how to pray and that's okay because prayer is just a conversation. And you say, God, if you're real, if, if, if there's something I need to hear this morning, what is it? Speak to me. Maybe you just need to recognise and reconcile in your own life the journey you've spent on spending so much time worried about how other people thought about you that you've never actually been vulnerable enough with someone else to start to unpick and unpack the mess that's deep within. And God's invitation today is He is kind and generous and loving and gracious. He'll forgive you of anything that you've done, but He also wants to redeem and restore and make whole that that is broken in you. Allow Him to do His best work. I'm gonna invite our prayer team every Sunday when we gather, a team of people here that just love to pray with you. And I say this every week, it's a great gift to have people that are happy to stand with you. And just even when we can't find the words ourselves, just pray with you and pray for you. Just this morning, you've walked into this place, maybe it's something I've spoken of in the message or maybe it's just something that you've carried in today. Maybe it's a need in your family or in your workplace and you just... You don't want to walk out of here without just having that moment where that need is brought to God. I just encourage you to come and let our team minister to you this morning. Let's sing together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 